And welcome back to the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. If you didn't know, this is the premiere podcast for the website, cpluscomedy.com. Like I just said, it's a website. Go there. I'm in a rush. Recording this the day that I am supposed to be recording this. That's good. Recording it at a time period where I don't have time to record. (laughs) Not so good. I do have uh, an interview with a, a person of note coming up. We will talk about that on the next episode. Uh, Or, I mean, actually, it's probably going to be its own episode, too. Uh, But for now, we... What am I doing? Oh, I have to do the intro for for Lyric Lewis. Okay, this is the uh, promotion. This is the intro part for Lyric Lewis. I got a special interview with comedian, with improvisational artist, with all-around cool person, Lyric Lewis who is uh, here to promote her uh, spot on uh, Night Court, on NBC's Night Court. She has a role on there, a very quick hit, but uh, very funny nonetheless. She uh, plays a a character who um, is a uh, wedding planner. Anyway, I like Lyric. She was in a show called AP Bio, uh, and uh, that show just, just kept getting the short stick over there at NBC Universal, uh, they they it was a show that was on NBC proper, and then NBC canceled it, and then Peacock, which is an NBC subsidiary here, I guess, picked it up, and then that it only lasted two seasons over there, and then uh, was unceremoniously moited, moitalized. She also appeared in Baskets for a couple episodes. If you like that show, that show was uh, very fun and very funny. Uh, three different, three different actually styles of comedy. I would say, between baskets, AP Bio, and the new Night Court. But all fun, nonetheless. Uh, you you know, Lyric Lewis is uh, like I said, she's definitely one of my faves, especially on AP Bio. She was like that show had no negative parts about it. It was so funny. Everybody was good. And not in the, I'm not saying that in the fake terms of, oh, everybody's good. No, everybody was good. From the young adults who played the teenagers, because I know a lot of them were adults, <laughs> to uh, to the adults who played uh, teachers. <laughs> well written, very funny. And she did a good job in Night Court as well, which is what she's here to promote. You can follow Lyric on Instagram at Lyric Lewis. Lyric, excuse me. Yeah, Lyric Lewis. It looks like Lyrical Wiss, where she posts pictures of her daughter. Uh, you can watch her on television. Watch AP Bio. Maybe if enough people watch it, then Peacock will be like, oh, this show's getting a little boost. Maybe we should bring it back for about 6 to 12 to 15 episodes. And also we talk about uh, her filming a lot of AP Bio while she was pregnant. It was, it's a, it's very, it's very funny because like you'll see, you'll see like one episode she's not, and then the next like twenty she is. It's it's very it's very funny, and then then they they try to explain it, and it's oh my god, so great. Lyric Lewis is fantastic. All right, check out that interview. Uh, if you want to watch a video version of it, then head to. Um, what is this show called? Uh, YouTube.com slash C plus comedy, where you can see a video version uh, under the interviews, which is great. And uh, yeah. All right. And then, you know, people who are watching the video, they'll just see the transition and then it'll come back. And you know how things work. Okay. Uh, I want to go transition. Uh, enjoy the interview. 
so how, how's it going? How's, uh, how's everything going in the acting world? Uh, going good, going good. I mean, trying to juggle um, acting and mommyhood, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and everything. So, but there, it's going great. I feel like if anything, um, my daughter, she's made me even more, I feel like grounded and more prepared as an actor because I've got nan time to waste, uh, which is great. So yeah, everything's going really good. That's awesome. I remember uh, watching uh, AP Bio and seeing you were pregnant, your character was pregnant. And also, I guess you in real life were pregnant and thinking it was like a long running joke for the longest amount of time until I had to uh, go to your your Instagram page and see that you were with child for real and, and you were going to have this lovely little girl. It was so funny because when I was pregnant, it wasn't written into the show. And then the last season, they were like, we're going to have you be pregnant. It's so funny because one episode I was like running, the director was like, uh, Lyric, remember you're pregnant, so maybe not so spirited. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't I didn't have these ankles in these hops when I was actually pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> that the, uh, AP bio was just, I think, uh, the pinnacle of of what a sitcom of a, a single camera sitcom was of these past like 20 years. I just, I love that show so much. It's a shame that it had to go out the way it did. I know. I mean, I, I joke with Mike all the time and I'm like, go ahead, tell your little friends that we can come back for a little closeout movie or something like that. I'm like, that's because it was so fun. It was so much fun to work on. And the whole environment, the vibe, everybody was just great from top to bottom. So it was definitely like a little, a little family. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, was it was it any different now that you've had experience with you know Mad TV and then an AP Bio and and also now Night Court having to uh, go through a work week of doing multicam versus these single camera shows? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a huge difference. It's funny because like, and I always think like the job makes it like that much more enjoyable like if you love to go to work the hours and everything you know like you can kind of eat that but i will say i'm not gonna lie multicam is real cute when you can get done and go to dinner with your friends like that's the thing that it's like but also for me especially as a groundling and i come from a theater background a multicam is so fun because you get to it is playing with that fourth wall in a sense and it is kind of a little bit more cheeky and you know it's a little bit more out and you can it's kind of playing with the audience Mm. as well as your scene partners and you get that fun instant gratification of telling a joke and you hear laughter or it's like it breeds that so that just that environment and I've been lucky where the multicams I've done the cast and the directors and everything has been such a warm and welcoming environment that it just really just felt like playtime like it yeah. feels like theater home to me which I love um yeah. which is great but then AP Bio even though it was a single um because Michael Bryan and Mary Son and Jean Villapique, we all have an improv background. It kind of had that same feeling, but I think it was a special situation that since we were all improvisers that it just lent itself to kind of that same uh, vibe. Right. I did have to watch my eye acting though, so. Um. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was, I just watched before I, I sat down, I was watching uh, an old episode of a show called Rules of Engagement that was on CBS with, uh, uh, you know, Patrick Warburton, Megan Price, and a few other people. And that, I mean, just the, like you said, it's the the play aspect of being able to to hit that fourth wall and get that immediate gratification of laughter, just seeing people deliver jokes maybe for the third or fourth time, depending, does not matter, but to have the audience, you know, laugh that hard again and again. And 
it, it just seems like there's something uh a little bit it's it there's it's magical if you can get like an imp and like do improv and and have the audience laugh at something so absurd that they mm -hmm. have to that they have to imagine it with their brains and their minds versus seeing it on a single camera uh, uh comedy it's i i really enjoy like i i miss the the old you know the 90s and early 2000s where every single comedy was a multicam and they you had to try out different things and some of them went far and some of them didn't and it was it's just different i do when you said magic i was literally that was on the tip of my tongue i think it's so magical and i was gonna say like i miss tgif yeah i miss those i miss when it was Multicam, 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 all on a night. I think it's so fun. And I think there is something really magical about a multicam and that like, it feels like a family shared type of magical experience that you don't necessarily get with a single cam. You know what I mean? And single cams are great, but yeah, I think multis are, you want to be there. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's something about, especially with Night Court uh, as a whole, both the old show and the new show, is that uh, one thing I do not miss about these old TJF shows is the uh, is the lesson learned thing. I could never watch Full House or anything of that ilk again. Yes. I don't want to learn a lesson. I just want to laugh. Watch TV. Dan do something stupid and then learn mm -hmm. from that stupid thing he did. Yeah. And that's definitely what this has. I feel like it just was so quirky and fun and like just nice and light, yes, without a lesson or without a driving something home, just like, this is just a fun half an hour. Yeah, yeah. And what what were you able to do with your, I, I believe you play a um, a wedding planner. What were you able to do with that character uh, in her and all of her glory? Cynthia Davies is just fun. Like she just was, she was so fun to play. And even on the page, I thought she was really funny, which is why I really wanted to do it. Cause I was like, I just love a full throttle, full steam ahead type of woman. I love to play that. And she was just fun in her own right. And I love how serious she was about what she did. I love that she wanted everything to be decadent and take it to the next level. And especially with Dan, I love that she was not thrown by anything. Yeah. His vibe, Dan wasn't feeling it. She's like, I'm gonna make you feel it. Here you go, take a nibble, take a taste. And it just was so fun to just have that, um, that type of character and have that energy. Um, it just was really delightful. So she was great and she dressed well. Yes. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am I like it when, uh, I, I noticed this the other day watching uh, a bunch of, in fact, I think I was watching Bob Hart's Abishola. I just love multicams apparently, but they they dress, <laughs> they, when you when you can dress a character well, when it when it fits their personality, uh, it, I, it's, it makes everything that much more believable. I just, I think if you treat uh, comedy as as seriously as we treat drama, uh, then then everything will be you know just hunky dory. It will. It truly will. We always. Uh, um, I also teach uh, improv and sketch, and I always tell my students a uh, big thing we drive at the Groundlings is like you do this the for real life first, and the comedy just comes into play. So like you do treat them as real life fleshed out people, and the situations and who they are just happens to be funny. Yeah. What have you? What is something important that you think that every uh, comedy actor should know uh, that you took from like uh, improv with the groundlings. Uh, is there like is there something that like you see people who haven't trained uh, with improv that they're mm -hmm. still not typically grasping when it comes to doing comedy? I would just say that I think the biggest thing I learned was just to not try to be funny and always be your best actor. I think mm -hmm. that people misstep, especially when it comes to comedy and improv where they're just pushing and they just want to get the joke and try to be funny. And that's never funny. Yeah. Like, 
forever versus if it you just act for you just listen and respond you yes and and you just put your best actor forward first then it's something naturally funny will come out of that if you just relax in it so that's I think my biggest thing whenever I feel like I tried even in shows or whatever I thought I had something clever to say it it's either lukewarm at best or just not funny right. versus and you're like well but versus like a real reaction to something people can relate to that and that's usually what hits so yeah that that's and I also think that's important for the audience too. I remember my first uh, improv show was a couple of years ago, and uh, the 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 person on stage asked for uh, like a funny situation. The friend I was with said apartheid, and he got a laugh from the audience. And I went, I I want that laugh. And then the next time they asked for something, I said something I thought was funny, and it just fell flat. And the guy said, Well, we'll not we'll not do that one. And moved on. And it and it hurts so much. And I think that <laughs> performers and audience members they they can they can feel that that burn that sensation for uh, wanting to be the subject of the spotlight. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Now, uh, what what's uh, what's what's going to be next for you in terms of uh, uh, comedy? Are you still you still looking to to find that next leading role? Something that you can really stretch your legs in. I mean, absolutely all the time. I'm looking to find that, looking to also write and develop my own stuff and like my own point of view and just, you know, becoming another successful uh, Black woman in this industry that can write. I would love to direct and like just really kind of truly be multifaceted in that sense. Um, I also love writing in the kids space. So like also trying to develop there. Uh, yeah. My daughter has thoroughly inspired me with all the shows I watch with her, but it's really enjoyable there too. And also continue teaching and performing because I really, strangely, like I love to teach and perform. And so just trying to yeah dabble in it all. But yes, absolutely that next um, lead role because I mean, I truly like, I love what I do. It gives me so much joy. Yeah. And I so I'm like, I can't wait to that next, meaty role that next ensemble thing that i get to do whatever it is like just to really step into that yeah i think uh we're, we're now in a time where uh voices like yours can and mine too i'm not a woman but you know uh can really be seen and heard and uh and felt across the industry so i think it's much more important to get those out in front instead of having the same you know type of show over and over again be made yes yes we can see it's in all the all the lights all the yeah. all the colors and the full glory like that's what i'm excited about is to show you know all the different sides and shades yeah yeah uh if you uh if you, if your daughter likes bluey i suggest that you you just try your best to get onto that uh because that's a fantastic show <laughs> she loves bluey don't she loves bluey i like bluey bluey yeah. i was like who wrote this for the parents and the children yeah Sometimes she's in the bed and I'm like, oh, Bluey's on for the next two hours on Nick Jr. I might sit here and just watch <laughs> to unwind. Yes, yes, yes. I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, well, Lyric, I uh, I think I got everything I need. I very much appreciate everything. This is fantastic. Oh. Uh, I Seriously, I'm a huge fan of AP Bio and this is just a dream to talk to you. Thank you so much, Chad. This was great. All right, you have a good rest of your day. Oh, you too, bye. Have a good weekend. We're back. No time has passed. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that Lyric Lewis interview. If you are listening to uh, the show, I don't know if I have cut anything.
I probably did not based on uh, past Chad stuff. What's been going on? I saw Dose Movies this week. Spent what very little money I have to go to the theater to watch John Wick Chapter 4 and Scream 6. And holy cow, both movies are fantastic. John Wick, I just can't believe that that movie exists, that that entire series exists. All right, you know, I'll say this about both series. I've seen uh, a majority of Scream movies. I've seen one, parts of two. I've not seen three. I saw four and five. Uh, and then I, obviously I watched six. Um, I and, and then John Wick, I've seen every single one of those multiple times, uh, with the exception of four, which I would go back. A lot like Avatar Way of Water, I would go back and watch that immediately. <laughs> I, go, I would go back today. Uh, it is crazy how both of those series of films, films, both series of movies, uh, I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to Ooh, follow me on Letterboxd so you can get my five-star reviews of, of movies. I talk about how the whale is an auteur's majestic sense of uh, obesity in America. And then I also give five stars to Avengers Endgame. Uh, anyway, there are both, both, mov- both movie franchises have... Just they're all just great movies, and again, I have not seen Scream Three, but I mean, I can only assume <laughs> they're all me. But they're all just fantastic, wonderful, good movies, quote unquote good, because that's not that doesn't mean anything. I I just I I can't believe that uh, both movies have have done done what they both sets of movies have done what they need to do and done it well. I mean, there although there are parts of Scream Five and Scream Six where uh, the character, a lot of the characters are annoying. They're very annoying, and there's one character in particular who keeps explaining things to the audience. Uh, mind you, that is what she does, but it is just so. I don't want to be talked down to, and she's annoying. Uh, it's the it's the sister of the the guy of uh, Mason Mason Gooding. Uh, he plays a Chad. He plays Chad. Very handsome black guy playing a Chad. I love it. I love it. How often? How often are we represented? <laughs> Never. Okay. What else has been going on? Uh, that's pretty much it. I, I got nothing. Else. I got. I got to tell you, I got nothing else going on. I will be. I. I don't know if I kept in the. Uh, this is the video. I don't know if I kept in the part where I said I'm going to be uh, talking to, um, to somebody today. But yeah, that'll that's gonna be happening in about forty some odd minutes. Okay, so let's get let's get into some stories. I'm actually I just clicked on one of my email that came in, and it is. I think I will talk about it. Okay, I I, I was unsure, but let me do it. This comes from Elizabeth Wagmeister Meister at uh, Variety. She has the Bachelor creator Mike Fleiss departed franchise after investigation into racial discrimination. Now I've not read this, and I've seen one season of The Bachelor, and it's been in my periphery for the past twenty years. I will say this: I've uh, I, I I can watch one episode of that show, and I can and I can see who the uh, the contestants are. I can see who the majority of the Bachelors and the Bachelorettes were. And I can go, of course there's racial discrimination. I can, hell, I can look probably at the crew, the crew names, and go, there's definitely racial discrimination going on there. Mike Fleiss announced that he was leaving earlier this week, and he released a chipper statement to the media, as uh, Elizabeth puts it. 
it's very he's yeah he's very excited and happy is what it looks like when Variety questioned the reasoning behind Fleiss's exit, ABC and Warner Bros. TV, which produced The Bachelor, wouldn't comment on his departure, and an individual close to Fleiss deflected, simply saying, "It's been 21 years," which is, which is which is which makes sense. You know, Meredith Grey, uh, Ellen Pompeo wants to leave um, Grey's Anatomy. Okay, that makes sense, uh, but. Maybe there's something underneath the skin. Behind the scenes, what's been going on? There is apparently an investigation into allegations of racial discrimination that was conducted by Warner Bros. TV. A handful of individuals familiar with the situation tell Variety that a number of employees had complained about to Human Resources about Fleiss, which led to a thorough investigation that was conducted by an outside party in the past few months. Some of those uh, individuals that spoke were prominent producers within the franchise, which includes Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise. During the investigation, sources say producers complained about Fleiss's bullying behavior, as well as his resistance to increasing diversity on the show over two decades. I, I mean, let's just put it this way. Uh, if you've never seen The Bachelor, I, most, most of the contestants um, in The Bachelor and Bachelorette seats have been white. And most mostly in the end they choose uh people who could be their brother and sister to be their partners individuals who spoke during the investigation expressed that when production staff were suggested casting more diverse reality stores stars fleiss would not take their suggestions and would quote lash out against them the individuals who spoke anonymously with variety said first of all if i'm bringing this up i'm going to talk i would be like yo this dude's racist <laughs> but again not me Said that throughout the investigation, a common theme that repeatedly came up was that the fight for change was a source of frustration for many staff members. Uh, people said he would retaliate against people for having minorities and black people on the show. Okay, well, you can t- I don't know why to separate black people from that number. <laughs> he, uh, he favored certain people over other people. Yeah, very true. He would say minorities don't get ratings, said an individual familiar with the investigation. Yeah, it's uh I I fully expected this and uh and his ratings thing while not true uh has I mean it's it's been like it's crazy because you when you I think I'll put it this way when you when you tell your audience when you say the audience doesn't want for the for probably the biggest dating show on television when you say the audience doesn't want race and then for twenty year or for tw- uh, nineteen some odd years, you you uh, you say, uh, uh, you go, all right, fine, we'll we'll sprinkle in a, a couple of people as contestants and not even as the main people, um, but then get them off the show quickly because it's all fake. It's like wrestling; it's fake. Um, and then you finally have a season with a, a black bachelorette, and then you finally have a season with a black bachelor after now 19 years or 20 years 19 yeah 19 years probably when did Rachel Lindsay first do it anyway you you're telling them what they want to watch and that and that they only want to see certain sets of people in front of the camera dating certain other sets of people that's what I that's what I view what Fleiss and I'm going to say it the entire Bachelor franchise has done 
this season, uh, this coming season, The Bachelorette's going to air. It's going to have Charity Lawson, a black contestant from the most recent The Bachelor. But again, it's going to be. I mean, I guarantee you, the guys that they give her are going to all mostly be black. They should do a lottery. They should just do a lottery system. I mean, and I mean, obviously, out of like, they they cast these people, which is good, which is fine. But they should do a lottery system. They should cast, you know, 40, do a lottery system out of them and choose 20 and make it diverse. Matt James was the only black lead for The Bachelor. Rachel Lindsay in 2017. So uh, about uh, 18 years. Rachel Lindsay was the first uh, of the Black Bachelorettes, I believe. Behind the scenes, the... No. Yeah, first ever, yeah. Behind the scenes, the franchise named its first black executive producer in 2021 with Jody Bakersville, a veteran Bachelor producer who had been with the show for a decade when she promoted to the executive ranks. Many employees had no idea there was an investigation into Fleiss's behavior. Two Bachelor production staffers who have been with the franchise since the beginning tell Variety they were shocked to hear about the complaints he made against Fleiss. That's just insane. Of course, the next sentence, both of these men, done. <laughs> I don't need to read that. I don't need to read the rest of that. And then some defenses against and stuff. Uh... Oh, he was, this guy was also accused in 2019 of attacking his then-pregnant wife. Miss America? Oh, my God. God, how does this ugly, if you look up this guy, how does this ugly, ugly man (laughs) with thinning hair, it says he's 35, which I highly doubt. If he's 35 and I'm 30, I would, oh, he's 58. Okay, I missed it. I misread something. I I mean, yeah, it's good. Get at him. Just get, I mean, get out of here. Get out of here. We don't, we don't need that guy. Uh, and in fact, we don't need the bachelor. Uh, <laughs> get, get rid of that crap. We don't need, we don't need any of this. I, I don't, I don't like the bachelor in the first place. I don't see why. Let's do it. Let's do a season of the queer bachelor. Let's just get, let's get someone who's um, bi or poly or whatever, whatever the things are, and. Get them up there as the main bachelor bachelorette, and then uh, have a bunch of have a bunch of people as their contestants, men, women. You know the rest. <laughs> have the have them as a contestants. That would be so fun to watch. I'd actually watch that season instead of having six blonde women and uh, eight brunette women and two coloreds. Let's move on to the next story. This comes from Elizabeth. Oh, another Elizabeth Lapato over at. The Verge, how much money do we think Substack lost last year? Substack is a newsletter website where you can make, we can write free newsletters, you can do whatever you need to, but uh, you can get people to pay you. So you're essentially, it's like Medium. It's like having your own website just filled with your newsletters, with your musings, with your whatever. Uh, I've done news time stories about Substack. I may have covered this on the podcast before, but it used to, at, at one point, it was such a big, exploding, upward trajectory style uh, of, I hate to say media, but it's the version of, of media, I guess. 
<laughs> that people were doing really well. There's, I, I believe there was one woman a couple years ago who made, who was writing history newsletters and she uh, was one of the first millionaires just based off of writing for Substack alone. And then Substack was also great because it did not take all of your money. It didn't, they didn't take a huge percentage. But now, according to Elizabeth Lopato over here at The Verge, Substack is pretty desperate. They sent out a fundraising email on March 28th. It is the 31st now. Uh, that is just essentially asking for money. $100 or more. This is written by the Kostak, excuse me, Substack founders. Uh, Jirai, excuse me, Jiraj Sethi, Chris Best, and Hamish McKenzie. And they're saying they're they're asking their own writers for Substack, the people who come to Substack to make money, to say, hey, give us a hundred bucks and you can own part of Substack. We raised our last round of funding in March 2021. We explored how we might make it possible for a large group of writers to invest alongside the traditional investors, but it ultimately proved too complex. More important, most importantly, it was difficult to include people who were not already accredited investors, a qualification determined largely by wealth, but the idea never left our minds. Uh, Elizabeth says and she believes this. Andreessen Horowitz led uh, the last round of investments, which gave the company $650 million valuation. And an A16Z has been uh, merrily dumping on retail through crypto investments for some time. I don't know what that means. Substack right now is only doing one thing, and that's newsletters. And I think in order to uh, uh, branch out, I, I know you can embed media in there, but I don't know exactly how deep it goes. I don't know if you can just say, hey, I'm, I'm writing newsletters, and then also here's an accompanying YouTube video, or here's an accompanying music playlist from uh, Spotify, or what have you. Substack tried to gain $75 to $100 million from investors last year, but it had a revenue of only $9 million in 2021, and a sky-high valuation on relatively little revenue was uh, not working in 2022. So what what happens to a company that is not uh, expanding its horizons when it comes to, to what it is? But it's not like they can really build on the newsletter platform. Not unless they give you recommendations and get, and actually have a like legit front page where and then you can go to your subscriptions and things of that nature. Their WeFunder is, oh my gosh, yeah, they have they have six point eight million dollars in their WeFunder from six thousand twenty four investors. I mean, this is people just not not even like I mean it feels like they're betting on themselves. It's it's kind of like, you know, this is my livelihood. I'm willing to give back from my livelihood in order to save my livelihood. What are they gonna use the money for? They're gonna build a new economic engine for the culture. Some of the people that use Substack include Margaret Atwood, George Saunders, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Barry Weiss, Weiss, 
I know them. Roxanne Gay, Allison Roman. I mean, these are, yes, these are all people you should know. Robert Reich, Michael Moore, Patti Smith. Uh, these are all people you should know, yes. And and this is a great way to get direct access to some of their writings. I Like Margaret Atwood, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, these are, these are, yes, these are all great writers and personalities involving writing. They explain how they're turning Substack into an actual network, uh, and and they're providing graphs and numbers. But I don't under I don't completely understand if this what what they're saying is uh, the the numbers and the graphs that they're giving are it's very it's very interesting to look at these graphs. It's saying here's how much money writers earned between 2019 and 2023, and obviously the graph is an upward slope trajectory. Uh, and saying like, hey. A lot of people are making a lot of money on here, but it's that's not necessarily how this is going to work for everyone. Uh, and then the same thing is, there are guys. I am doing a podcast. Stop honking. It's still going. But I, but at at some point, do are are people? I mean, it's just another part. Of, it's another subscription. Are people going to get tired of subscribing to things? Uh, are are writers going to get tired of? Because you don't see you don't see YouTubers going like and giving money back to YouTube. <laughs> you don't see uh, musicians giving money back to Spotify and to Apple Music and to YouTube Music. I mean, it's it's kind it's it's kind of a backwards thing. And uh, it looks like the maximum you can invest is twenty two hundred. I, I I just I don't I don't see this as a viable way for continuing to uh, operate Substack. Uh, I like they're gonna have to get like actual investors, and I just I don't I don't like I don't like this at all. Uh, let's go on to the Wall Street Journal. This is written by Megan Bobrowski. The metaverse is quickly turning into the metaverse. Companies like Walt Disney, Microsoft, and uh, 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 Meta have decided to take a step back when it comes to Metaverse. Walt Disney and Microsoft both shuttered divisions uh, around uh, v- virtual reality. They were, uh, in fact, Walt Disney's happened this past week with their recent amount of layoffs, 7,000 layoffs that they were aiming for. Uh, Meta was so excited, was so gung-ho about the metaverse, and now they've had to reel it in to focus more on AI, which is also another dying institution. The price, meanwhile, the price for virtual real estate uh, is written here. In some online uh, worlds where users can hang out as avatars, uh, avatars is catered. The median sale price for land and decentralized has declined almost 90% from a year ago. According to WeMeta, a site that tracks land sales in the metaverse. So what happened? I what happened with this with this metaverse thing? Meta, which was leading the charge on this, uh, formerly known as Facebook, had uh, laid off about eleven thousand people in the fall, and this month it said it's going to cut about ten thousand more positions in various projects, including some that are based in the metaverse division. Was it something? I wonder if it was something that had to do with the rise of AI, with um, 
Bing's AI and Google's AI and, and all the and ChatGPT and uh, all these and all these other AI projects where they saw that that was easier to work with or a little bit more viable compared to this digital land where it's you know it's hard especially with the with the release of uh the MetaQuest is it the Quest the Quest isn't the big one the MetaQuest Pro MetaQuest Pro I think that's what it's called the three thousand dollar headset Apple's uh, uh, uh VR headset is supposedly supposed to be revealed at the next WWDC and people uh, working at Apple are like hey this isn't a good idea and, but but apparently uh, uh Tim Cook Tim Apple Tim Apple. They want he wants it released as soon as possible. I, I I just I don't see where the point. And I don't know why Disney was working on this in the first place either. I don't I don't see why Disney had to had to stick its foot in there. Uh, it's it's you just you can't touch it. You can't physically touch it. And I just and I feel that yeah maybe it is easier to do AI stuff. Uh, or or to or if if you had to get rid of something because Disney like Warner had to cut back five point five billion I don't know if they had to but had to but got rid of five point five billion dollars worth of uh, assets and and positions and things like that and so does it does it make sense to continue working on something that the, the technology just isn't there because with the MetaQuest Pro it, it just was just bad. Uh, with other headsets, like it, it, it just, it just didn't work out, and people weren't seeing the future that way. Like we're as if we're supposed to jump in headfirst to this stuff. I don't know. Uh, on the same call that uh, uh, with Mark Zuckerberg, where they talked about um, uh, the the future of the metaverse, and it, I guess it was their earnings call. AI was mentioned 28 times. The word metaverse was mentioned on seven occasions. Meta didn't respond to requests for that comment. So are, are we going to, are, are, is a company like Meta going to use AI to help them build the metaverse? I don't know. I just, I never liked it. Meta, the metaverse is a lot like cryptocurrency. It's something that probably is going to come in the future, but right now it's not something that you can wholeheartedly trust and really put everything into. All right, let's move on. This next one comes from The Wrap, written by Jeremy Fuster. Hollywood is making diversity progress in, on streaming, but not theatrical. A UCLA study shows, baby, we got UCLA's annual Hollywood diversity report. And the numbers are better. Among the top 100 streaming films that were original in 2022, 60, which means that they were made for streaming, 64% had casts of at least 30% actors of color compared to 57% for theatrical films. Uh, and and, and, and uh, the 43% of those that did not have a diverse cast were um, all nominated for Oscars. Among the top 200, <laughs> it's very true, Banshees of Inisherin, uh, All Tides of War, whatever the hell that Netflix movie was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Among the top 200 highest, anything Guillermo del Toro does, uh, even though he is Mexican. Among the top 200 highest gross, I don't know why he continues to just cast white cast. It's insane to me. Also, that new Wes Anderson movie, I, I would, I love Wes Anderson. I, I want to see Asteroid City. There's two people of color in the entire movie. It's about aliens, and then there's two people, two people of color in the entire movie. And it's just, it's insane. 
Among the top 200 highest grossing uh, theatrical releases at the North American box office, People of Color composed of only 22% of lead actors, 17% directors, and 12% writers, all of which are below record high shares uh, recorded by the study prior to COVID-19 pandemic. Progress for women in key theatrical roles was a bit more mixed. Female lead share of leads roles in 2022 fell from 44% in uh, 2019 to 39% in 2022, while share of directors and overall cast members remained relatively flat at 15% and 40% in 2022 compared to 15 and 41 in 2019. The one big jump in progress was writing credits as 27% of credited writers in 2022 theatrical films were women compared to 17% in 2019. Streaming films, by contrast, saw nearly 50-50 gender parity among lead uh, roles with, in 2022 with women comprising 49% of such lead. That's the first time in ever that this has ever been a thing. And, and, we, have to, and we, have to thank, we have to thank streaming. While director parity was not as strong as stronger than theatrical, with 25% of streaming film directors being women and 23% POC. On the writer front, 36% of writers on streaming films were women and 20% were POC, uh, both higher than theatrical. I'm glad to see these numbers be pushed for, for, forward, and I really think that it, it is all thanks to streaming. Streaming has has been, you know, as much as I hate to say that a movie made for Netflix isn't going to be, especially like a comedy that would have been, a middle tier comedy that would have been in theaters isn't as good as it would have been like on Netflix as it would have been for uh, uh, theaters. It's I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we're finally getting a, just a little bit better numbers. I would love to see a jump, especially now that movies like everything everywhere all at once and black panther wakanda forever i was gonna say black wakanda again uh and, 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 and like now that we have these movies coming out and then we're gonna have uh as as this person writes uh nia da costa's the marvels we're gonna see uh a, just a jump a push and 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 i and it should be more so let's continue to get these voices out there it doesn't like and I'm not saying let's have a woman around a movie about women. Just like just give them the same crappy superhero movies that that every uh, the Marvels that every uh, white guy gets. I like I am I am so for bigger numbers. Let's let's continue to to push these numbers higher and higher. Let's get them in. Let's get women and people of color and women of color in better positions in order to succeed and make better things. Than a show called The Night Agent, starting a white guy. This final thing comes from David Bowder at CN, uh, AP News, AP News, Associated Press. CNN preaches patience as ratings tank during turnaround. I just realized I did not save one of these stories. All right, there we go. I'll close the rest of these. And now it's everything I do. Uh, so we knew that when Chris Litch took over that it was going to be a, a kind of a soft period for CNN, especially after they, they took away the, uh, the bipartisanship, excuse me, the, uh, the lack of bipartisanship apparently that CNN was displaying where they would really do more stories uh, catered towards the left, the Democrats. Uh, I would be a great pundit by just, because I've just been like just pushing uh, the the Democrats, the other side, the GOP, you know. 
uh, cable news ratings are down across the board. Apparently in 2022, when Russia's invasion of the Ukraine was fresh in the news, CNN's dip is most dramatic, 61% in prime time in March, with Fox News down 27%, and MSNBC off by 12%, according to the Nielsen and Company. Fox averaged 2.09 million viewers in prime time in March, with MSNBC at 1.14, and CNN at 4,703. Uh, 4, Excuse me. 473,000. How much is that? 473,000? <laughs> that is some of the lowest numbers it had that CNN has had in decades. Uh, and, and that's not good. I think, you know, they, so this is, so like I said, it, it's a mixture of the the change of head at, CN, at CNN. Uh, but I also think it comes with, you know, they, they lost um, Cuomo. They had, you know, a very, just a very tumultuous year. They're shifting around people from from their regular broadcasts left and right now i mean now we have a new version of uh, cbs we have cbs mornings now we have, we're going to get a new mid-morning show at nine o'clock uh between nine and twelve uh i'm getting a phone call am i supposed to be doing something uh no that's at one thirty. i don't know who that is <laughs> changes so as I was saying, the changes to the daytime are uh, imminent. I have to. There we go. Mute that. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see uh, mi- more mixtures of people. We're apparently you know there's a report that there's a deal for Gail King and Charles Barkley to have their own show in a prime time that'll air once a week. Uh, we're getting uh, we have the new the 9 p.m. hour is now CNN presents essentially which is a different long-form hour-long news story. On Sundays, we're getting a news magazine-style show hosted by Anderson Cooper. Uh, it is, it's it's trying to, CNN is trying to, or Chris Litch and CNN are trying to position themselves uh, as a way to, uh, um, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to take back what streaming has taken from them. People are watching, uh, uh, I mean, you know, documentaries are really taking over, like like, like on Netflix. You'll see, uh, what is this? Oh, I'm getting a text. Okay, we're back. I actually had to stop down. I got a very important text message. <laughs> a very important text message. <laughs> That needed to be answered, <laughs> along with a very important email that should have been looked at. Uh, apparently, I'll you know I'll go ahead. I'll go. You know, no, no, no. We'll save it. No, no, no. I'll do it now. I'll do it now. I was late to the interview. I was. <laughs> I thought the interview started at one thirty. Uh, it is a hundred percent my fault for the person, the the comedy uh, facing person that I was talking to. I one hundred thousand percent looked at the email and went this is the time i'm supposed to be going i'm supposed to be doing it and then it was the wrong time it was 30 minutes after the time so i'm like i got time i got plenty of time 12 59 i got plenty of time one 102 i got plenty of time let me finish this episode of news of constitutionals and then i get a text as I'm talking about CNN or whatever the heck, 
And I go, all right, it must be someone texted me for, for for whatever, like a friend or something, obviously. And then I get the phone call, and I go, I don't recognize this number. And it's not one of the bill collectors. And then I get another text. And I go, who is this? <laughs> it turns out it was the people. <laughs> and I went, oh, crap. <laughs> oh, my God. I felt so bad. So what I did was I got out of the, I got out of the chair, ran to my room, changed the shirt, immediately dismantled the constitutionals, and which I mean all it was was just taking off the headphones and turning off the iPad and, and turning off the fourth channel just in case the iPad went off. Uh, and I I logged into the Zoom and I just started apologizing. Literally the first thing I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, X, person X. You'll find out next week the next thing that is inside of the uh, the constitutionals. Um, whatchamacallit. The first, uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm not bad at myself. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm laughing and I am so embarrassed. <laughs> I It's, oh my God. Usually I am on top of that stuff. And I thought I had it right, but I did not. All right, so I was talking. I was talking about CNN. We gotta get. We gotta finish this episode still. I was talking about CNN, and I was compa- the last thing I was talking about was comparing it to Netflix, the documentaries and everything. There has been a push on CNN for more news-based projects, with the and, and now we're taking away uh, documentaries. I, I there's there's something about. CNN should have should be the I think Chris is correct is that and that it should be the CNN should be the middle ground when it comes to MSNBC and Fox. However, I do think that stifling your your commentators, your hosts is a little bit uh, more intrusive, especially when it comes to uh, to 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 the correspondence that they have on. Because if you look at CNN Mornings, which is the show with Caitlin Collins, my, my beautiful future bride, uh, Don Lemon and, and uh, Poppy Harlow, they often have, like Adam Kissinger, Adam Kissinger, 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 that guy on, who who was a, who used to be a Republican senator, I think. And, uh, and, and um, that, uh, that beautiful lady, who's also a Republican, they have this, I don't, I don't know her name. Uh, and then they also have a lot of Dems on who used to, who are also correspondents as well. Uh, I, and I think largely that show is working. I do think that the, even, as much as I am in love with Caitlin Collins, the three people on that show have nothing in common. Uh, and, but, they, but they do feature a lot of really good stories and there's a lot of really good reporting. And, and I see what they're trying to get at. But it's just not coming together cohesively, and you know, and and I can go ahead and and say and say what whatever they're going to do for the nine a.m. hour, a uh, couple of hours is going to be the same thing, and, the, and then the rest of the midday lineup. I don't I don't know how you. What we're at a point now with cable news like Fox, MSNBC, and CNN, CNBC, and then. Uh, now we're gonna then let's expand that to broadcast with NBC News 
and uh, CBS News and ABC News tonight. We're at a point now where they need to innovate. You see where local news is. Local news is dying. It's fledging, and I fledgling, and I used to be a part of that. And you and you could not innovate there whatsoever. But then, when I left, when I left, <laughs> when I when I left, <laughs> it was a uh, it was a place where every every single like they were they were building a new set. They were moving around, um, uh, not the host, anchors. They were moving around anchors. They were moving around uh, the uh, reporters between the morning shows and the afternoon shows and the evening shows. And in some cases, it it has worked. Like in my old network, at my old place, WXIA, the NBC News affiliate in Atlanta, I like I think the new set looks fine. I all this handheld camera stuff that these local news stations are doing, it doesn't jazz up that the fact that you're talking about either a murder that happened in DeKalb County or uh, the prices of homes going up across the city. Uh and I and I want to say that for Atlanta News First, which is the alt right <laughs> CBS. <laughs> And Atlanta Station is not is not alt right, but it sounds Atlanta News First sounds alt righty. And then uh, same thing for WSB. I don't watch the uh, Fox thing, but I I mean like as much as they change, they're still under underneath underneath all of the gunk. They're still the same type of shows. And so and and and, and taking from the broadcast and looking forward into cable or looking upward into cable rather it need there needs to be some sort of you can judge up something as much as possible but the fact of the matter is you have to have the the people behind it as well as the the stories behind it that that really do well i like pbs news hour it is so dry it's like eating the driest chicken but it works in that in their favor I don't, but I don't know if that's going to be something that people want to see on CNN, because it's not what they want to see on Fox News. They want the, the people who watch Fox News want to be riled up, and that's what their hosts do. Can CNN be entertaining as well as informative? <laughs> who knows? We don't know. Okay. Uh, okay. Do, 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 do. I think that might be it. I don't know. I'm no news guy. <laughs> Listen, if you like what you heard here, and you trust me to not be late to an interview, <laughs> head on over to cpluscomedy.com where we've got other podcasts, including the, con- oh, wait, excuse me. This is the Constitutionals, including Late Night Lately, the late late night night show show excuse me the late late night show show uh which is a uh late night show podcast and uh linkedin logs which is the show where i try to become a linked influencer and an only fan if you want to see video versions of these shows as well as on cpluscomedy.com is uh you can see uh my interviews with comedians and comedy people and actors and all that stuff and i feel so bad still you gotta move on though whatever you gotta move on uh youtube.com slash people's comedy to see all the videos everywhere 
for C Plus Comedy, including for this for this podcast, for the other podcast, the interviews, as well as News Time, which is our premiere show. It's an entertainment business news show, like The Daily Show, except way less funny. You can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at C Plus Comedy. Follow me on those platforms at Chad Black White. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends about us. And, uh, geez, that's it. Enjoy your time away from me. Goodbye forever. No, I'm kidding. See ya.